four verses we stand just in honoring the word of God he said he honors it uh, above his name even it's so important we're going to talk about that often in the book of Jude no question about it as far as the importance of the word of God so Jude contending for the faith verse 1 Jude a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ mercy peace and love be multiplied to you beloved while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word, and we... We do cherish you. Father, I pray you just continue to feed us by the Holy Spirit, your truth, that we might not just hear it, but obey it. And in so doing, Lord, you change our lives. You, you absolutely change our lives, beginning with the gospel. And so, Lord, we're, we're praying for anyone here that doesn't know you, that hasn't responded in, in obedience to the gospel, that today might be the day that they meet their Savior in a very real way. We're praying for that. We're asking, Lord, as we go through this series, contending for the faith, that you would bless the things that are being prepared, break them fresh, feed us, we're hungry. But, Lord, we want to, again, be strengthened with might in the inner man. We want to keep ourselves in the love of God. We want to keep on our knees in prayer. We want to keep trusting your Holy Spirit. But, Lord, we want to fight the good fight. We want to lay hold on eternal life to which we've been called. So, please, give us ears to hear, we ask. And bless the things I prepared. Break them fresh. Feed us, Lord. We are hungry for you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> so before I start into the book of Jude, I want to talk a little bit about memorizing the scriptures. So this little segment doesn't count as time for my sermon. Is that all right? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> so <clears throat> the challenge I'm going I'm to give our church here is to memorize the book of Jude. It's 25 verses. In the first six months of the year, and then in July, we're going to take them again. So it's one verse a week through June, and then either renewing that or starting out new come July. And that's a challenge. That I don't know how that strikes you, but you and I, are, are, are so, we're so needing the Word of God hidden in our hearts. So I'm going to give you a little acronym. Are you surprised? This is my little acronym for memorizing. It's DOVE, D-O-V-E, and here it is. Uh, memorize daily, memorize orally, me memorize visually, and memorize exactly. So when I've been, it was uh, many years ago, I took up a challenge with a, with a brother that was coming at the time to memorize the book of Titus. And I can remember the day when, I, when we were, my family and I were camping, and I went out for a walk in the morning, and I actually could, mem could quote the book of Titus, 46 verses. It was many years ago. And I said, I did it. I did a book. It was great. And so from, from that time, I've always made uh, memorizing Scripture a, a discipline that, that I, that I want to keep. And for many, many, it ebbs and flows, as you know, life does. So uh, I, I've been trying to keep those things going. So 
what I've learned in my own memorizing journey are these four things that are very helpful as far as hiding the Word of God in our hearts. So as I hide the Word of God in my heart, I believe, and I hope you do too, that it's the most powerful thing that I can do for the mental and emotional faculties of my soul, as well as the spiritual fortitude and resilience to contend for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints, to fight the good fight of faith, to finish my race, to keep my forward momentum in fighting that good fight of faith. So I want to give to you this this morning, but I'm going to challenge you. Now, some of you might say, well, I can't memorize. And I'll say, well, can you give me John 3.16? God so loved the world. You, you have a verse memorized. So I'm not suggesting at all that everyone here is going to be going, doing it. We're not going to check up on you. But I will say, if, you have, if you're thinking you can't memorize, and I'm going to challenge you to take just two verses in Jude and memorize them this year. Jude 24 and 25, which closes the, the, gospel, the, the book. So I believe that you can memorize. It can be intimidating. It can feel. So this dove will help you. So first of all, you got to do it daily. And by, when I say daily, you know, most days, I get how life goes. So my, my approach on doing it daily is I have my little yellow pad. Okay, how many of you have yellow pads on your desk? Okay, it's very sanctified. And this is my yellow pad in the morning. It's blank, and then I put a little square box, and I write, i got to do this. But what I do is I, I look at the Bible, and let's say Jude. Now, Jude, the first verse is a longer verse, so I go 1A and 1B. And for 10, 10 times orally and visually, I'll get that in a minute, I say it out loud. So I look at it, I'm just saying it, saying it 10 times. 1, 2, 3, 4, 10, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, slash. Then I go 1B, 1, 2, 3, 4, slash, 1, 2, 3, 4, slash. I got 1A, 1B, then I go 1, the whole thing. And I do that, and it's, what happens over, the, over doing that in just four or five days is you'll find that you got it. Now, the other part that's really important is visually. So what I do now in memorizing is I copy my Bible. So this is my Jude memorizing card. <laughs> and so I copy my Bible, and I blow it up 140%. I laminate it. <laughs> I mean, this is fancy stuff here. I laminate it, and then when I'm looking at it, when, as I'm going on my walks or whatever, it's this, visually I'm seeing it just like I see it in my Bible. And that helps tremendously. In fact, all the senses that you can bring into memorizing will come back to help you. So that's why I think it's really important personally to have a Bible, a physical Bible that you're, you're going to be giving yourself to because you can begin seeing it. Like, oh, yeah, I think it's on the top of that page to the right. And you begin finding Scripture. You have no idea what the address is, but you know it's in Isaiah. And you think, well, it's... And then you can go... So visual is very important. Hearing it is very important. That's why orally on my desk, I'm saying it out loud. And then also it's really helpful is to say it to someone else. It's amazing. You think you got it nailed. And then someone says, well, quote it to me. You go, I got it. So all these... I'm just sharing these as a part of, of understanding the dynamic in memorizing. Now... Exactly, this is a key one that I don't know if, if you've heard this before, but I will tell you without question that it's much easier to memorize when you do it exactly. Every word, is you do it exact, because what you're doing is you're forming something. I look at it as when you first look at it, it's kind of fuzzy, but then as you go exact, you go exact, you go exact, it becomes very clear. So as you're quoting it, now that's, there's a word there. There's some, and you begin, your mind begins to to, to uh, take that in and, and jot it down if you do it exact. So that, 
Do it daily, do it orally, visually, any sense you can help, do it visually, and then do it exactly. So are you up for that challenge? Do you, would you raise your right hand and say, I swear? If we, okay, now get your Bible out. <laughs> I'm kidding. I want to I challenge you just to try it. Now, what hap, what's going to happen over six months if you can stay at it? Now, that's the key. If you can stay at it, that you will have the book of Jude memorized. And it will blow your mind just how fun that is. And it's very fun. Now, I, I, am, I believe without any doubt, it's like no other memorizing you can ever do. Because you're memorizing, you're putting God's word in your heart. And God's word in your heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against you. And God's word is the sword of the spirit. So I could, go, I could spend the whole time this morning talking about the word of God. I'll talk a little bit more about it. So if you, if you would take, take that challenge with me, so for next week, Jude 1. Now, here's the cool thing. Jude, Jude uh, verse 2 is really short. So you might look at it as take four verses for January or take one verse a week, however you want to do it. Um, but we're going we're gonna to go for it, okay? So uh, next week, you'll all be quoting to each other. I'm kidding, okay? <laughs> the other thing I want to bring out, now this is not part of my sermon time. I just want to remind you that. So make sure before you start looking how long I'm going, you know when I started, Okay. The other thing that we're doing coupled with the study in Jude is our small groups are going to be going more in-depth, many of them, into the book of Jude. So if you're in a small group that's doing that, great. There are other small groups that are not doing that, but many are. Next week, there'll be tables out there. You can meet the leaders. And I'm going to encourage you, if you're not in a small group, to get in a small group. And then this book of Jude is going to be divvied up into 10 sections, and the small groups are going to actually be going a little deeper into this powerful. Let me say it again. It's powerful. It's a powerful book. I think it's so in, incredibly important, as is all the Word of God. So that's the other thing that we're going to do with it. The, those those uh, groups will start the week of January 19th. Okay, so now, should we study the book of Jude? Go to verse 3. I'm not even going to start in the beginning. <laughs> Beloved, while I, was very, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So Jude sits down, and he, he has in mind, he's going to write this letter to talk about our salvation. And that's always a wonderful thing to talk about. We're going to talk about the grace of God. We're going to talk about what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. We're going to talk about the, the old man is crucified, and we're dead with him. We have a new life. We're new creations in Christ. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And he had this in mind. We're going to talk about, I wanted to write you about our, our common salvation, what we all enjoy. But here's the deal with Jude, and he was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. He found out the Holy Spirit had something different in mind. And so the Holy Spirit begins to direct him to write about God's judgment. God's judgment of the ungodly. God's judgment of false teachers. God's judgment of those who are leading unrepentant, sinful lifestyles. Note that. This exhortation is a serious warning, but listen, it was, list, it was written to Christians to contend for the faith. So when we talk about contending for the faith, this morning what I want to talk to you about, as much as I can, I have a lot of notes, I'm not going to get to them all, but I want to just say this in the beginning. We need to be contending for the faith first and foremost in our own hearts, in our own lifestyles, and what we are doing. Because it doesn't matter how wordy it might be, we can be talking all about it and never come to a place of salvation. 
We can know all the details, all, but we're not walking with God. We're not walking, contending for the faith in our own lives. And it's easy to lead secret lives. It's easy. We can fool a lot of people, but may I say to you, seriously, we can't fool God. And God wants us to know, as I'll talk about this morning, he wants us to know he's not up there making a list and checking it twice. He died on a cross so we could have a relationship with him so that he can do the changing and he can do the sanctification and he can do the work that he wants to do. We are created in God for good works which he prepared before him. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are his poema. We're his, we're his incredibly unique artistic work that he's doing in each one of our lives and our need is to contend in our hearts for the relationship that we have with Jesus. And there are certain things that are so important concerning that because there's a lot of things contending against the faith which we we received through the gospel, against the faith which we know as saints we're to be living, against the, 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 the truth of what God has said about what this should look like and how we should be living. And it's, it, it is a battle. Would you say amen to that? It's a battle. There's no question about that. The Apostle Paul, in thinking that this might be his last time to speak to these elders on the beach there, he said in Acts chapter 20, he also wrote it, there it is, and indeed, now I know that all you, these are to the elders, the leaders of the churches, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, How? I have not shunned to declare to the whole counsel of God, God's word. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. Now note that. Take heed first to yourselves. We'll find this again in other scriptures. And to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in not sparing what the flock. What flock? The flock of God. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn every one of you night and day. It broke his heart what was going on. He's warning them. He's saying, this is what's going to be happening. This is what happens already. It's what's going to be happening. So we need to contend, he's saying. Now, he wrote to Timothy. He said... Now the Spirit expressly says in a lot of times, some will depart from the faith. How? Giving heed, notice this, to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. I mean, it's, it's serious. He said to him, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. You stay in the word, Timothy. You keep giving them what I've given to you to give to them. So there's a lot at stake. Would you agree with me on that? There's a lot at stake for which we are to contend for. We are in the thick of a, of a spiritual battle for the faith of our own contending and in the contending for the faith of others. And thus we are called as believers to contend. This is what saturated Paul's thinking as he penned his final letter. So how important was this to Paul? How, how, divert, how, how over the top was it for him? In all his letters, you read what he's saying. He's coming back to contend, contend that there's going to be heresies, there's going to be false teachers. So he says to Timothy, his last letter, what would you write in your last letter? to your son or daughter. This is what he's writing to Timothy. 
chapter 3. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you've known what? The Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scriptures given by inspiration of God is proper for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be what? Complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I know that I talk about this all the time. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> we need to give the word of God its rightful place and time and priority in our lives. It changes our lives. It's contending in the battle for the truth in our own lives, and in the lives of those that we love. I, Charlotte was looking on Facebook, my wife, and she found this quote, and so I, I saw it, and I sent it to myself. R.C. Sproul, who died a couple years ago, he said, I think the greatest weakness in the church today is that almost no one believes that God invests his power in the Bible. Everyone is looking for power in a program, in a technique, in anything and everything except where God has placed it, his word. Do you believe that? I hope so. And if you don't, I'm going to keep preaching at you. Because <laughs> I believe with all my heart, I was raised with this understanding that the word of God through the spirit of God changes my life. And I found it to be true. I'm nowhere near perfect. Let me tell you that. If you don't believe me, you can ask my wife. <laughs> but God is doing a work. And without the food of the Holy Spirit, without the, the substance of the word of God, the Holy Spirit is limited. And I remember growing when I got saved when I was 10. And I wanted to know God. I wanted to walk with God, but I didn't have the word. And it was serious. I know I got saved at 10 years old, but I was in a church that wasn't teaching through the Bible. It wasn't a priority. It was teaching the Bible, yes, back then. There was a lot more of that than there is now. And, you know, after a while, I was getting with friends, and I, I, I fell away from the Lord. I've come to realize that if I understood what it means to be a Christian, if I understood how this thing works, if I understood what it means to be led by the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to work. Now, I'm, again, hear me out. I'm not saying just that everything's perfect because that's what we're talking about. You can have the Word. The Pharisees had the Word. Jesus said, you search the Scripture for them, you think you have life, but they are them which testify of me, and you won't come to me. You may have life. See, the Word of God is given to us in our relationship with Jesus Christ so that He, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can change us. And that happens, as we'll look at, this morning, that happens. As God changes me. He's keeping me as I contend for the faith. I can't just sit in the silence and, well, I wish. No, it's as I'm contending. That's where he keeps me. When I'm out in the front lines, that's where he keeps me. But he's, and even Jude says, I'm getting, I'm probably going all over my notes right now. But even Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God. He ends the letter. Keep yourselves in a place where God can bless you. Keep yourselves in a place where he can do what he wants to do in your life. How is he going to do that? We have to contend for the faith in our own hearts, in how we live and what we're doing. And understand that the word of God is so central to that. And if we don't believe those things, I'm telling you, it's exactly what the enemy wants. Satan in the garden, what do you say? Has God said? Start questioning. No, 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 you don't get it. No, he didn't really mean that, contradicting the word. That's what, we're in a battle for the sword, with the sword of the spirit. The question is, have I equipped myself to be able to wield that sword more and more as God leads me into greater and greater depths in my relationship with him. He leads me in, in victory in battles that I'm facing for him that had I faced them 10 years ago, I would have never won. But now, through the work of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God, he's, he's fortifying things and strengthening things and preparing me. Now listen, here's the glorious thing. He is preparing us, not for harps, for a kingdom. 
We are being prepared for a kingdom. Wow. And he is going to be rewarding us according to things which we've done, whether good or bad. And there's going to be a, a reckoning, if you will, not for salvation, but from our salvation, what happened? What did God do in your life? What has God done in my life? So the word, listen, the word does not need my help. Can you say amen, please? The word of God does not need my help. I need the word of God's help. The spirit of God does not need my help. I need the help of the Holy Spirit. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. I need the power of the word of God. I need the truth in the word of God. I need the seed of the word of God, the fruit, the food, the manna, the meat, the milk of the word of God. Okay, I'm already way off time-wise, so oh well. <laughs> Second Timothy 4. I charge you therefore God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, who will judge the living and the dead as appearing in his kingdom? Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires because they have itching ears. So I want to hear what I like. I got these desires. Would you feed them? They have itching ears. They're just itching for something that will feel good to scratch. They will heat up for themselves. They're going to get all these teachers. And let me tell you, with the media and stuff we have there, you can have a zillion teachers if you want. Oh, I like that one. I like that one. But listen, listen. What Paul is warning against is just that. We heap up teachers that we like. We'll turn, and it begins to turn yours away from the truth and be turned aside to fables, to things that aren't even true. And it's amazing as I look out at the Christian world, and I don't do a lot of this. I'd rather just stick with the real deal, the word. But in the things that I hear, it's amazing to me. But it's no different. How people are turned so easily to our, we are turned so, to our own desires. We like this, we like that. Listen, we don't get to pick and choose. Paul said, I've not, I've declared to you the whole counsel of God. And because it's the word of God, it's good. Taste and see the Lord is good. It may be difficult. It may be even hard to understand, as Peter wrote. But it doesn't take away anything from what it is. It's the word of God. So, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry, Timothy. Fulfill your ministry. It's what occupied the apostle Peter's letters. He wrote in 2 Peter, but there, but there are also false prophets among, you, among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, and many will follow the destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be a blaspheme. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and the destruction does not slumber. So they're appealing to covetousness. And so I, I'm just putting this out there for you to just sort of, sort of immerse ourselves a little bit. Listen, we're in a battle. We're in a battle. There's no question about that. That's why he says, I, I want to talk about our salvation, but let me tell you another part of the salvation. We need to contend against these things because here's what's happening. Here's what's going to happen. There's judgment coming. And that's as much a part of the gospel as is everything else that we love and cherish. It's judgment that's coming. From the very beginning of the church, throughout our history, this has been and will continue to be the problem. False teachers, covetousness, deceptive words, Wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, throughout church history, many who had been labeled heretics, 
who were labeled, were tortured and put to death. But listen, often it was the ones who were true Christians that were called heretics by those who were the heretics to put them down, get them out of here. So the question is, what is heresy and who is the heretic? How is the church to guard against heresy? How is the heretic himself to, himself to be treated? Now, it may seem like an irrelevant question in our society today, but we have the, because we have this so-called you know, tolerance that we sort of live by, much of the, the need to, to contend, the need to stand, we sort of shy away from. And we don't stand for that. We turn from the truth. We leave it. We don't want to contend. But listen, the early church contended. Jesus contended. We need to contend. Now, I don't say that as we bring out our high-powered doctrine gun and got you on that one. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying we need wisdom because we have these problems. We have these things that we are the light. We are the one that is to be standing as examples of what God is talking about in how we think, in what we believe, and in how we live. And it necessitates us making a stand just like the early church did and Christians today still do. God's word has not changed. It's not changed. There are certain specific non-negotiables for which we must contend, beginning with them in our own hearts and lives, beginning with them in how we live ourselves. Now, we don't execute heretics today physically. We're not supposed to. But we need to be able to recognize it when it comes. And that's what Jude's going to be addressing, some of these problems. We need to know how to respond to false teachers. How to respond against those who are, are speaking lies and deceptive, tantalizing people. False teachers. We need to be able to, to, to contend against lifestyles, which we have many lifestyles that are contrary to the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Jude, Paul, Peter warned. There are those who creep in. I like to call them creeps. <laughs> they creep in and they start sowing. They want to stay hidden because they're sowing. They introduce destructive heresies. Now, the random Home on a Bridge Dictionary defines heresy as Opinion or doctrine at variance with the orthodox or accepted doctrine. And that is true, but the scriptural word that's used for heresies is much more than that. It's the word in the Greek called heresis, and it means sect, party, or school. In the Christian movement, heresy came to refer to a dissenting faction or group hold, a group holding some opinion or dogma that marked them, listen, off from the rest of the body. So it's a group, it's a sect that now has begun believing things and they become a group within the group. That's heresy. Paul addressed this to the Corinthians. Now the Corinthians had a lot of problems and the church has problems. But he said to the Corinthians this. Is it freezing? Here we go. For first of all, when you come together as a church, now the Corinthians had a lot of, church, a lot of problems. I hear that there are divisions among you and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions, there's the word, among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. In other words, if there is, a fa if there is something that's 
it's heresy, it's false teaching, then those are going to begin to, that they're going to begin to surface and there's going to have to be that division. There's going to have to be understanding. This is approved. This is not right. That's, that's healthy. It's a healthy body that can purge itself of its poison. It's a healthy church that can purge itself. And Paul's saying to the Corinthians, this has happened now when we get, when I'll be using these scriptures, I'm sure, at some point. But Jesus, when he's, when he's addressing the seven churches in, in Revelation, so I know your works, your labor, your patience. You cannot bear those who are evil and all stuff. But I have this against you, that you allow that woman Jezebel to teach, my, to teach and seduce my, my disciples to commit sexual immorality. How rampant is sexual immorality in the church today? It's rampant. We're going to address that because Jude addresses it. But they come in and, oh, it's okay. Yeah, don't worry. It's, it's okay, God. Well, I'll leave that there or I might get off on another trail. <laughs> so the, the, the essence of a heretics are individuals within the church who hold to some way of thinking or living that sets them off from spiritual doctrine, but not only that, lifestyle and fellowship. Lifestyle and fellowship. These may develop over various teachings. Maybe it's the resurrection. Maybe it's the second coming of Jesus. Maybe somehow it begins to get off and then goes to become the sect that's now holding to false doctrine, things that are not of the truth, things that are not of the faith as once for all delivered to the saints. Now, no doctrine that fails to give Jesus preeminence as God and as sovereign Lord and as the master of his disciples is heresy. It's false doctrine. It's not Christian. Now, one of the areas that we'll look at is Gnosticism. That was one that was going on, this whole idea of this false teaching of Gnosticism. Huge. So heresy involves variation in lifestyle. God's people are called to, listen, holiness. We're called to holiness. That contending for holiness must take place in our temple, in this body, which is the Lord's. He purchased me. I'm bought with him. I need to be living as one who now is owned by him and mastered by him. And holiness is the standard. Holiness is the call. So the letter of Jude carries a strong exhortation and warning to Christians today, to us. And I hope that we'll receive this humbly and allow the Holy Spirit to work, you know, massage our hearts if it's that way, or maybe needs surgery. Some things need to be surgery. There needs to be the work of the Holy Spirit, but it needs to be according to the faith once for all delivered to the saints. I don't get to change it. I don't get to add to it. I don't get to subtract from it. What God saved me to do was to contend for it in how I live, and what, I, what I'm doing, what I'm thinking. So all believers are to, be, are to contend earnestly against denying the absolute lordship of Jesus Christ. We need to contend against giving license to promiscuity, following fleshly desires. We need to contend against the license to reject authority. Now, let me ask you, is that a problem in our, in our, in our nation today? You see, you start removing God as the authority, you got problems. And that's what's happened. And in Jude, he's going to be talking about contend those who reject authority. You're not going to tell me what to do. I'll do what I want to do. Well, you can do that only for so long because at, one, at some point in your life, you're going to meet God. And you're going to realize, no, he's in charge. <laughs> and and from, from giving God the authority he deserves and and. and we need to give them. Then comes government and family and marriages. 
and, and all that comes right. It's a whole idea of who's in charge. Let me say, God's in charge. He created it. He knows how it works. He's given us the, the, the greatest manual ever, the book, the Bible. It tells us how we're to live in our marriages. It tells us how to live as fathers and mothers. It tells us what we're to be doing with government. It tells us how to treat our enemies, all these things. And I'm saying to you, as you know, it's not easy. There's no simple answers. That's why the word contend comes in and says, we need to contend for these things. Because it is difficult. And we're up against a lot of things that are very, very difficult. So the question is, what does it mean to contend? It's tr- this, the, word, the Greek word contend is translated in other verses, stir up, meddle, strive. Notice, to excite oneself again. In other words, we should be passionate about these things. To engage in strife. It's going to be a battle. To strive in opposition to someone or something. And again, we need the wisdom of God because we're not, again, getting out of our heart-powered shop. We're to be doing these things. We're to speak the truth, what? In love. What does that look like? Well, I would say if you're a parent, you know what that looks like very much. There are times when you want to strangle your little kid. <laughs> Why? Because you love them. Because you care for them. That's what love does. It contends for that life. And we're called to contend. Now, when I read this word, contend, it reminded me of my wrestling days in high school. And I was in a, in a sectional tournament. And this guy, it was a final, actually. And this guy comes out, and the first thing he does, he slaps me in the face. And so I thought, you should not have stirred me up like that. You shouldn't have meddled. You shouldn't have done that. <laughs> And so I proceeded to take him down and put him in a guillotine. How many wrestlers do we have here? <laughs> Guillotines hurt. And you can make someone hurt without pinning them. And I did. <laughs> All 95 pounds of me had that guy in a guillotine. And I said, you shouldn't have meddled with me, man. He'd be, choo, choo. Listen, we're going to get slapped. There's going to be those times that happen. We are in a spiritual wrestling match. That's the deal. And our enemy is ruthless. And he's, he's very, he's on it all the time. Now, should I be afraid of that? Not at all. We'll look at this in Jude. We have Jesus. We're in Christ. So not even Michael the archangel dared to bring a railing accusation against Satan, but said, the Lord rebuke you. We need to always realize we are, in, we are in Christ. And so greater is he who's in us than he that's in the world. Jesus conquered Satan, hell, death, all those things. So we are working, we are contending from our salvation, not for it. We're contending for those who have been equipped, not need to be equipped. We've been given all that we need that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. It's relationship. So Paul says in Ephesians, finally, now many of you know this. We've probably read it many times. Some of you may even memorize it. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to notice. Stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against, 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 against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day. And here it is again. And having done all, to stand. Do you want to stand in the battle? I want to stand in the battle. I know you do too. Paul's saying, and by the way, he's just coming out of marriage, jobs, Finally, my brethren, he's talked a lot in Ephesians. Now he's saying, here's the deal. Here's where the power is. Here's where our, our battle is. Here's where our contention. It's with these things. So take it up. Stand there for having, notice, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of God. These are things that are there. They're, when we get, then he says, and 
above all, taking the shield of faith with which you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation. When we go out, we got to put the helmet on. Praying always here again for us as believers, for us as Calvary Chapel South. We're doing our prayer. We're collecting prayers. We believe God listens to us when we pray. And Paul's saying, with all, praying with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end, prayer, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Now, it's not here, but Paul goes on. And for me, so Paul's saying, pray for me, and for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may, know, that I may know how to contend, is what he says. Pray for me, and we need prayer. Yesterday, we had our, our hour of prayer. And I think there were maybe 15 of us, something like that. And I told them in the beginning, I, was, I wound up in the ER, my lungs are killing me. Uh, you know, I, I, and I told them, it's just very discouraging when you keep one thing after another. And so they got, they got around me and prayed for me. Now, sometimes I don't like that. I'm going, okay, don't put your hands on me. <laughs> but, and it was such a caring moment. They just started praying for me. Because I believe that prayer is important, and prayer works, and prayer helps. Do you believe that? That prayer is so essential. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end. In other words, if there's anything we're going to be doing, let's be praying. But may it not be all only thing we do. We've got to rise up and contend. Contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So a follow-up question. How are we to contend for the faith? So this study, and we'll, we'll, I'm going to share a little bit more, but this study is going to give four things. This morning, we contend humbly. That's number one. Contend humbly. In other words, we're contending in our own hearts because of who God has made us to be. Secondly, contend earnestly. There is a lot at stake. A lot. Third, we're to contend against the ungodly. Against ungodliness. And then finally, we're to, we're to contend for the love of God. It's the love of Christ that compels me. It's the love of Christ that puts, that, by which I've been putting on my armor. It's the love of Christ that I go into these battles because I love what God has done in my life and I want to respond by being obedient to him and doing what he's called me to do in response to what he has given to me. So Jude speaks of the apostles as apart from it. He wasn't an apostle. Jude speaks of himself there as the brother of James. And you know, you might think, well, and it's true. Nobody really likes to be in the shadow of their sibling. Well, I'm the brother. They want to be known. But James didn't look at it that way. Uh, Excuse me, Jude. James was a an apostle, he was a leader in the church, he was very influential, and he was very well known. And James is going, so what? I'm the bondservant of Jesus Christ. You can't get any more privilege than that. Now, a bondservant is one who willingly gives his life into the life of his master so that his master can do with his life what he wants to do. That's the bondservant. And it's done willingly and lovingly. So we submit our lives to Christ because we know he knows best. We know that he's going to guide us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We know that in him he leads us to victory. We know that he loves us. He saved us. He has a purpose and a plan. And he wants to take our lives and redirect them and reconstruct them in such a way that we are victorious over sin. We're finding freedom from sin. We're finding our marriages are closer than ever. We're finding that we're being being. Uh, the, the examples that people are seeing, even though we don't realize it, because the work that God does, we're not, you know, there's no instant Christians. Can I hear an amen? You don't sort of take, you know, the John 3, 16, swallow it now. Boom, there you are. No, it's a lifetime 
of God working in our lives to sanctify us and set us apart as holy, to call us and protect us and keep us as we contend for the faith. He does the work in our lives. And that's the, the wonderful thing about that is there's no instant Christian. So the Christian life, you know, any dead fish can float downstream. It takes a live fish to swim upstream. And as believers in a fallen world, we're swimming upstream. We need that, that the, the, realize the currents against us are powerful. We need to know how to go upstream. And Jesus is the one who leads us in victory, leads us in the way. He takes us. So there's no instant Christians. But the cool thing is, God does all this work. He saves us, sanctifies us. He keeps us, calls us. He's got a plan and a purpose. One day he's going to, there's one cool thing. He does all the work, and then we get rewarded. Wow. Was the battle worth it? You absolutely believe it was worth it. Was all that tension and trials and testing, was it worth it? You better believe it's worth it. And if you don't, then ask the Holy Spirit to help you believe it's worth it. And I'll tell you, with my physical ailments, I'm thinking, I don't think this is worth it. Would you just take me now? <laughs> just like, let's, let's just be done. This tent is done. I'm done. How many of you feel that way sometimes? I know you do. God's not done with you yet, and he's not done with me yet. And in the meantime, we're to contend for the faith humbly. Humbly. He was a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He knew that he, was, he, he would belong to God. Jude did. And so the question that comes up for me is, who do you belong to? Who's calling the shots in your life? Who's leading you? Who's giving to you? Is it your life? Is your life God's so that he can do what he wants? Or is your life yours so that you can do what you want? Are you in saving submission to God? Or are you selfishly ambitious for yourself? Is it God's way or your way? I'm asking myself as I ask you. These are good questions just to hone in on the need that we have to contend. Because our flesh is going to take that away. The world's going to take that away. The devil's going to seek to steal that away. And in Christ, we have this desire because he loves us. Because we want our lives to be counting for him and examples for him. We have this thing that's there that you can't get rid of, and that is we want to live our lives contending for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Are you consciously spirit-minded or are you continually flesh-minded? Are you living a holy life or are you hiding an unholy life? Are you walking humbly or high-mindedly? I love this passage in Micah. And the two verses before Micah 6, 8, which many of you probably know are this. With what, one before that, please. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for my sin? So he's saying, what should I do? You know, what, am I gonna, what does God require? He has shown you, oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, that doesn't change. To do right, to do justly, to love mercy. How many of you love mercy? Love mercy. God is merciful to me. He doesn't give me what I deserve. And then he says, and walk humbly with your God. We contend humbly. We're walking with God. That's the difference for us. So he says, to those who are called, let me give you this very simply, three of them. To those who are called, in other words, God called us to save us. Can you hear an amen? 
He called us to save us. So if you were to, you see your phone, your phone's got a number on it, you look at it and go, hmm, I wonder who that is. And normally when you do that, you, I'm, not, I'm just going to let it go to voicemail, but you have to answer it. It says, hi, this is President Trump. You probably, some of you are going to hang it up. <laughs> you go, there's no way. Who is this really? President Trump would never call me. And we can have such a view, oh, this person. But listen, God called you. And you answered. The sovereign, holy, all-powerful God called you one day, and you who are Christians answered the call. How did you answer the call? You repented. You acknowledge that you stand in danger of the judgment of God because you have not kept his commandments. That's what happened. And to you who don't know Jesus this morning, it's the, the need you have is to answer the call. God calls to save. You're willing to turn from your sin and turn to God. You want to give up your old lifestyles and turn to God and, and him develop a new lifestyle for you. It means you have a change of mind that has a change in direction. Now, all, you know, many of you, probably all of us have heard of altar calls. We're not called to an altar. We're called to Jesus. So every, every Sunday, and I'll do that, I'll give you an opportunity. If you haven't known Christ yet, call it a Jesus call. He's calling you. And you're not here by any action if you don't know him yet. That voice in your heart, that voice in your mind, that fear of death, that emptiness that you have that's there that you can't get rid of, even though you might have all the things in the world, it's not satisfying some longing in your heart. Let me tell you, the longing that's in your heart is what God put there to know him and to love him and to walk with him. And if you don't have those things, all these other things, you can try filling up those holes. They'll never do it because you were created to know God and he provided for you to know him. So a Christian is a person who's repented and believed the gospel. Only that person who has confessed with their mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believing their heart got raised from them, only that person, only him or her, can call himself a Christian. There's only one gospel. And most are called, but sadly, few are cho- many are called, but few are ch- chosen. Few choose to give their life to Christ. That's the truth. So God saved us. God, God called us to save us. Secondly, God, called us, God saved us to change us. He's not going to leave us like we were. How many of you would say amen to that? I'm not who I was, but I thank God I'm not, I'm not what I will be, but I thank God I'm not who I was. It's always interesting to me in having conversations. Well, tell me a little bit about what happened in your life in the past. And here I'm standing next to a guy that I've known for five years. He's a wonderful man, wonderful young man. And they start telling me what they used to be like. I said, really? I can't even imagine that. Because it's a new life. It's the same for all of us. The whole things are passed away. That's what happened. God called us to change us. He says, you who are sanctified by God the Father. Now, I can't think of anyone better to have my, my life, my, put my life into whose hands. It's God the Father. He changes us. He called us to be saints. He called us into fellowship with his son. Now, 1 John says, if, you say we, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. We can't say we're in fellowship with God and living a lifestyle that's dark. We can't say we're in fellowship with God and saying I can carry on with these things that are clearly not. They're sinful lifestyles. They're sinful things. We can't do it. It's impossible. And that's what we're contending for in our own hearts, in our own minds. We are con- it says in 2 Timothy 1.9, he saved us and called us with a holy calling. We're called to holiness, to be changed, set apart for God. That we're called, as he who called you is holy, so be holy. So all of these things will be hitting more as we go through this study. But listen, God called us to save us. 
He saved us to change us. That's his promise. Our lives in his hands are lives that will never be the same. But then, he changes us by keeping us as we contend for the faith. As we contend. We are called to contend for the faith in our own hearts. And so as I'm being obedient, in other words, I contend for these truths for the faith in my own heart first. I am not saved so I can change the faith. I am not saved so I can change the truth. I am not saved so I can add to the truth or subtract from the truth. I am saved, I am changed to contend for the truth, for the faith. That's what we're in. We're launched into this new arena of life. So Jude says he was able to keep you from stumbling, present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He can keep us. Do you believe that? Jesus said, no one will be able to snatch it from my hand. Father, I'm gonna, he's going to keep them. And as we contend, as we're being obedient to God, now he's not going to keep us in disobedience. He's going to want to move us out of disobedience. It's as we're being obey, as we're obeying, as we're contending for the faith, he keeps us. No one should be able to snatch us out of his hands. He says, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. God saved us, called us to save us. He saved us to change us. God changed us by keeping us as we contend for the faith. And listen, there's no greater humbling than the love of God in my life. There's no greater sustainer than the love of God in my life. And yours too. Paul said it's the love of Christ that constrains me. We love him because he first loved us. And the love of God in my heart and your heart in knowing him through Christ is the ultimate foundation for all that we desire. Not only to be loved, but then to love. And that's the contending we're doing. Paul prayed for the Ephesians that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to, comp- in love, may be able to comprehend what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly all that you ask or think according to the power that works in us. Paul's saying, I'm praying for you, Ephesians, that you might know the love of God, the whole breadth and length and width and height of it. Jesus said about that sinful woman, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who doesn't know the forgiveness of God loves little. And so, how deep the Father's love for us, I dare not boast in anything. No power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I don't have an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Am I going to battle for Jesus? You bet. Am I going by myself? Never. He is with me to keep me, change me. He called me, saved me, and now he's changing me to keep me in his love and to bring me to that place where eventually we will experience the glory that God promised because of the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. I contend by living it out and by letting it out. So Spurgeon said, the truth is like a lion. Whoever heard of defending a lion? He said, just turn it loose and it will defend itself. God turns the truth loose, not just in word, but more in deed. 
in our lives as we're contending for it in our own lives. Let me, read, let me close with this story because I think it helps just to nail it. There's a story of the young man who was making peace, was making poor grades in school, particularly in math. His parents, his parents tried various things, none which seemed to produce even a desire to improve. Finally, he decided to enroll him in a private Christian school. At the end of the first grading period, the young man came home and proudly presented his report card to his parents. They were shocked. They found that all his grades had improved significantly, but most notably, he had received an A in math. His parents were overjoyed and began to question him to determine what it was that had finally produced the improvement that they had sought. Was it the non-traditional teaching methods of the private school? No. Was it the strict discipline? No. Was it the smaller class sizes and more individual attention? No. Well, what was it that caused such a big turnaround, they asked. Well, the son replied, when I walked into that school on my first day and the first thing I saw was that man nailed to a plus sign, I knew I'd never take, I'd need to take math seriously. <laughs> Isn't that great? Now let me turn it. The cross is how serious God takes sin. If sin wasn't so serious and so hideously Deadly. There wouldn't have been a need for the cross. The only thing that we have to look to is what God accomplished on the cross for my sin and for your sin. And when we look at that and realize that was the cost, we take sin seriously. That's why we contend against these things. First, in our own lives, what I'm thinking, how I'm being programmed, what I'm doing, how I'm living, my lifestyles. Will it, will it be, will, 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 can I speak? <laughs> will these things line up with what Jude is going to be telling us in the future studies? We need to contend earnestly. We need to contend against the ungodly. We need to contend for the love of God.